Welcome everyone, you're listening to Daniel here on The D Report. Today we'll get an opportunity to speak with Gabriel Rodriguez and Angela Montano. Angela will join us a little bit toward the middle of the conversation. Our subject will be gender. We'll talk about some of the ways we define gender, how we question it, and how we may find alternative perspectives toward living with gender. Before we begin, Gabriel, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Gabriel Rodriguez. I am a second generation Mexican. I am a rising senior at the University of Redlands, getting a major in theater business and a double minor in race and ethnic studies and Latin American studies. Outside of school, I am the executive director and founder of the DTI, the Diverse Theater Initiative, a nonprofit that's centered on exposing, exploring, promoting, and celebrating the diversity in the performing arts that we don't always get to see, you know, things like performance from the Pacific Islands, from South America, exploring the world of what it means to be creative and expressing ourselves in a way that breaks out of the typical white heteronormativity that we're kind of shown on the big screen or shown on stage. And I, outside of that, I've been teaching for over dang near 10 years now. So in some capacity or another. So I have a lot of experience with children and youth and and developing new leaders in the world. Um, That's a little bit about me, I guess. Gabriel, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk to me, uh, with me. Today, I was hoping to really kind of um, expand a conversation that just to give some background, uh, we met in a classroom, you know, that I was kind of facilitating. And I reached out to you to kind of expand some of the things we've talked about in the past, in particular gender. It is a subject that I have been working with, I guess, academically within the capacity as an educator, but also personally for, just I can remember, it's a, it's a topic that I feel very comfortable talking about. One that I teach and one that I live. So I'm curious to, to just kind of start the conversation in that way, what is gender to you? I would definitely say gender is a spectrum of what we could call masculinity and femininity. And even those words, I'd say, are something we could break down into smaller subsets of, oh, that's strong, that's, that's, that's power, like that. Gender is a spectrum of how one presents themselves in the world. And I think specifically talking to our United Statesian mentality, gender is we've kind of locked in the mentality of it's a binary. It's either you're masculine, you're strong, you're, you are confident, you are poised. And then on the other side, we get femininity, which typically refers to somebody who's a little bit more meeker or maybe not as confident, more subservient. We've, we've created this little, this, this side of like, oh, you need to be strong and powerful and masculine, or you can be weak and subservient and feminine, which I think is absolutely insane. Um, Personally, I, I, I grew up and I was raised in a household of strong women. If it wasn't my mom taking care of me, she went to go work for all hours of the day. I was with my grandma. And when she couldn't take care of me, I was with my aunt. I, I was surrounded and raised by strong women. So this, this idea that you know femininity is weaker or that women are the weaker sex, I, it never crossed my mind as to how that's possible. Uh, for context, coming from that Mexican background, I have a huge family and and you see the toxic masculinity, you see some toxic femininity, they're kind of in their own stereotypes and worlds, but I know, gen, gen, my, at least personally for me, I've always been a lot more feminine. I've been more outgoing. I talk with my hands a lot, my body, I, heck, the, what I'm wearing today, I'm wearing a, a purple uh, 
I'm wearing a purple button-up short sleeve dress shirt, which has, you know, some nice intricate design on it. I've always been more flowery, more, more everything. If you, if you think of a pizza, I'm I'm the combo pizza with everything extra on top. Um, <laughs> that's how I describe myself. And you know, I grew up with a bunch of kids who definitely didn't see that as normal. I never felt like I was a typical kid in school. And and when it comes to gender and like, I always I always got a lot of flat from the guys. I was never one of the, I was never one of the guys. I was never a cool kid. I was never, I was a little bit on the tubbier side, even from back then. And I was just, I was never welcomed in that kind of masculine space. So a lot of my friends growing up were girls. Um, my best friends in early elementary school and middle school, if I could really even call them friends, I just never really good at making friends early on. Um, but they were at least at the very least people who I could hold a conversation with. And maybe that was because I was mature for my age. And so were the girls back then, or maybe that's because I was always surrounded by women. And that's just who I got along with. Even in my early teens, early adolescence, heck, even today, I have very few guy friends. There's like two, maybe three who I can count on. And I went to an all male Catholic school. So you say, Oh, you should have a bunch more guy friends from there, but Holy, but Jesus talking about gender, talking about the norms and stereotypes. It was, if I wasn't getting flack from students, I was getting flack from a teacher. I remember one specific instance. It was my junior year. Um, I'm not going to say his name, but he definitely on the older, older end. I think he's retiring this year or the next or somewhere around here. He's been been retiring for the past five years, but he made a comment. He was talking about him and his wife and he's like, yeah, my wife got new shoes and she got annoyed with me because I didn't notice. And it was like the 10th shoe box this week. I'm like, how am I supposed to know when you have new shoes or not? He's like, he looked out to the room. He's like, how many of you notice if your partner got a new pair of shoes? I'm pretty sure he said girlfriend or something more, something more in the dynamic. And I was pretty much, I sat on the front row just out of his color, uh, just out of his eye view. And I raised my hand like, yeah, I, I wrote a fashion column. I'm into fashion. I know colors. I know schemes. I know when my girlfriend buys new pieces. I'm like, oh, that's either really cute or, hey, that's, that's from this style. That's this. You compare it with that you have. And so I was the only kid in class and I raised my hand. He's like, he's like, exactly. Nobody. And if you did, it would be kind of uh, interesting. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> And that put me in like a downward spiral for the day. But yeah, it's, I've always had a weird relationship with gender in the sense that I never fit in the binary and I never felt like I should be accepted because I was never told that, yeah, you are normal just the way you are. I was always a chameleon. I would change the way I acted, change the way I interacted with other people, change the way I uh, talked, dressed, uh, joked around, the mentality I was with changed, heck, even being like with the guys from my family and being with the women from my family, being around friends or being around teachers, adults, I would change to adapt and whatever the space called for, whatever was considered more of the norm, I would be that. And it took me a long time before I realized, no, I, I can be confident in who I am. I can be this more feminine, more everything that I am, male, and be who I am, and that's okay. Um, for reference on sizing, I'm about six foot one in the mornings, about 250 pounds. So I'm a st- I'm a bigger guy. I don't have too much of a beer belly, but I'm 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 my most people walking up on the street on me would see that I might be a little bit scary. My girlfriend thinks I'm a big teddy bear, but that's about that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the way you describe gender in some of the keywords that you mentioned, for example, the idea of the binary, the fact that there will be two. Uh, genders, but not just two genders, but a binary that is intertwined in opposites. 
if men are strong, women are weak. And I say that, and I must emphasize as a stereotype, as an expectation. So I, I, I want to kind of see if we could talk a little bit about that, because I feel that, that when I hear you speak, I recognize so much of that. And we are probably at least 20 years apart. So that I feel that this conversation is one that I know that I could have, and I've had similar talks with my dad, who is about 20 plus years older. And my grandfather, I don't know, 40 years older, maybe. So what I'm trying to get at stumbling through is that this is a long conversation in terms of generations. Yeah. And I want to believe that we are not the first ones to articulate dissatisfaction. That's, that's being very mild in our word. People that were just didn't fit. I want to believe that we are one of many generations, many communities uh, speaking about just not fitting in. So that I've talked about gender with my mother growing up and she would tell me stories about how she was thought of when she was a young girl, a little girl, how she was thought as a tomboy. And, and that, when I heard it as a young man, like, you know, a teenager, it really made me feel that I wasn't off. Because if my mother struggled with issues of gender, then that means that if I struggle with issues of gender, I'm okay. This is something that's going on. And, and I feel that what, what, what keeps coming up is our struggle, but I'm also trying to activate where I've been in the past 15, 20 years as an academic, trying to figure out, well, what is gender? And one of the things that I've come to terms with it is that it is something that is outside of me. I, I don't have gender in me naturally. So that there's a, a debate, is gender nurture or nature, right? Are you mm. born in this binary or is society creating the binary? And I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I'll, I'll express mine briefly just so that I don't take up all the time. But I was thinking that like, I, I don't subscribe to the nature not because I'm just resistant to the possibility that people are born a certain way with personality differences, but because when I look around, I can see it being taught so that I can see people teaching gender every day, whether it's the comment that you expressed as a teacher telling you something that was injurious and it, it locked you into saying, oh, this is what's expected of me. Uh, whether you're told that shirt is not for you, it's only for women or vice versa, that shirt is only for boys. Those moments have really validated my commitment to really, um, yeah, to put emphasis on the outside uh, space, the, pace, the spaces that are outside of me that hold gender. So gender as a manufactured space of society. And for a lot of us, we, we feel very liberated. I mean, I, I know I'm one of them that feels just like I can breathe now because it's not me. It's society telling me what's expected of me through this thing that we call gender. Um, where do you stand on this like nature versus uh, nurture on, on gender? I am a strong proponent of the nurture side. It's, it, nobody sees, when you see two kids playing in a classroom, it's not, oh, they're playing together because they're boy and girl. Oh, there's some ulterior, but no, they're just kids having fun and they're playing together because they have similar interests. Now, if that's from family or if that's from friends or if that's from exterior forces, so be it. But we teach kids, oh, oh, you don't want, you know, if the, if the, guy, if the kid, if the, if the boy is bullying you, 
talking to a girl. If the boy's bullying you, that means he likes you. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's, that's the dynamic right there. You know, it's because he's a boy, he's going to be a little bit more meaner to you. And we set that expectation for our students. We, 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 we grow them in such a way that, correction, I'm not going to say we. Students have been grown and told and worked in these binaries for everything. You have a right answer or you have a wrong answer. It's either yes or no. In English, there's a little bit more gray area because they're like, oh, that sentence structure weird or that sentence structure is different. He, she, they, them. The way we discuss gender and binaries and languages is astronomical. You know, I, I, I want to pull on your idea of like that, that tomboy the status, like, oh, what happens if, if women aren't necessarily in their normative? Um, a few things that comes to mind is Gloria Anseldua's Borderlands, La Frontera. She talks about like how she wanted to break away from that. And in order to do so, she had to leave her family. They, they restricted her to that, that binary of femininity or masculinity, and she didn't want that. So she had to leave. She had to take it away. Um, so very similarly, uh, my so kind of going back to my relationship, my partner and I are kind of similar in that way. She... Growing up, she kind of rejected the natural femininity. She, or her mom was a big proponent of, oh, you should wear pink. Oh, you need to look like a girl. You need to present effeminately. And my girl was like, no, I want to play with Legos. I want to play with cars and dinosaurs. And and she she kind of rejected this idea of that hyper-femininity. She never wanted to wear pink. She doesn't really like wearing dresses. She's always wanted to be her own individual, her own way that kind of is away from what society tells her to be. And I guess I'm that same way, you know? I I say, I think coming, circling back to that nurturing idea, I was always around the women in my family. I was always around the chefs in my family. Women, typically the women are the ones who cooked. My dad also cooks a lot, but um, mostly I was with women. Um, and so I took up cooking. I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I do it as a passion. Like even in school, one day out of the week, I'd say, all right, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to buy enough foods just so I can prep one big meal for myself. And that was my relax time, being in the kitchen, being the cleaner, being the one in style. Um, so that that was that was me because that's what I grew up with. That's what I was surrounded with. And so I saw that as comfort. Even something as simple as like um, the tradition of making tamales around Christmas time. You never see any of the boys in my family making around the big, huge pots, making them, prepping them, putting the masa on the the uh, the corn husks. That that That's not a thing. But I would still go with my mom. I would go in there and sure, I only did it for two or three of the years that I was growing up, but I was still in there with all the other women putting the masa on the husk, putting the meat meal in this past summer or this past Christmas because we were all in quarantine. Um, I did it with my mom and my aunt, my little sister. I that was we did it all night long. We made it from our own, my whole immediate family. So it's definitely nurtured our 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 binary of of gender and the spectrum that we lay on it. And my mom has always been really supportive of that. And she's like, be whoever you want to be, mijo. Do whatever you want to do. So long as you're true to yourself, so long as you're kind to other people, what does it matter? What does it care? And so I was always kind of taught with, I could be whoever I wanted. I'm always going to treat other people however they want to be. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And, you know, going back to the other side, what I brought up at the beginning of that, that kind of teaching mentality, um, while I was in high school, I led, what was the group called? It was, it was a leadership group and essentially we would have a guest speaker come in and talk to the whole school. That could be on like a Tuesday and we'd have, or Thursday, and we'd have an extra hour and a half where we'd go back into the homerooms and each one of our leaders would lead Socratic discussions. And that would be a whole 90 minutes with either the freshmen, the sophomores, the juniors, so on and so forth. I was probably a junior when I started the program. And 
we would have these exact conversations of, hey, let, let's take a step back. Right now, what are your ideas of gender? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to have masculinity? What are, what are some things we would use? And we'd say, use whatever language you want. Use whatever language best helps you articulate it. Because I think that's also a big barrier to entry in the conversation of gender is like, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't want to mess up. It's like, all right, say everything you want to say and then let's filter it out through there. Let's figure out what is, what is, what's the underlying factor? What's a better way to say it? And certain students were like, yeah, it's either I got to be strong. I can't let any girl talk bad about me. I can't, I got to do this and that and the other. You know, I'm, I'm a, if my kid does something wrong, I'm the one who has to go in and discipline them. Like they all came in with their own stereotypes. And, my, my, and then the goal of the program was to break down those stereotypes, was to analyze where are we getting it from? Does that make us a productive member of society? Break, trying to break all the nurturing that happened to led them, that led them to be so restrictive in their thinking and their talking and, and the way they engage with one another. We talked about what does it mean to be a bystander? Like when people are bullying one another, when people are talking shit about one another in a group, if you're talking bad about a girl or so on and so forth, have you been nurtured to go along with it? Have you been nurtured to be a chameleon or, or where are you naturally a chameleon just to fit in? And I think I was definitely naturally a chameleon. So I, 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 I instinctively knew all the tricks to kind of slip and slide it out of, without directly talking anything bad or talking any shit, I could still be like, oh yeah, ha, 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 ha. laugh at the definitely misogynistic and racist and, and microaggression filled jokes and just be like, ah, ha, 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 ha. and, and that was that. And, and I think to some effect, looking at the nature perspective, looking at what, okay, what are the arguments against nurture? Naturally, we have different organs, our, our reproductive organs. If that's, if that's when you go, want to go down to the, the scientific basis, those can change. Those, when we're presented at birth, doctors at some points have to make decisions. Oh, is the first children who are born without genitals? All right, what are we going to decide with them? What, what, what's going to happen? And I think even going back thousands and thousands of centuries going back, you see that in early early Mesoamerica in in with Mexica the 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 early tribes of Latin America as we define it geographically today um, they were entirely a a feminine society they the, the women were seen as vital like if you think of the hunter and gatherer dynamic oh Nate the the primal nature women were gatherers because they were more vital to society if you lost a woman you were screwed that, that they were held in higher regard whereas men were expendable. They were the hunters. They could go die two, three, four, five people in a day to go hunt a bear because they weren't as necessity as a necessity for life. And you fast forward all the way to today, 2021. It's like, ah, we don't need women. You see all these people like, ah, I'm, I'm strong, I'm powerful. Women should want me. I don't need to chase no girl. Like, you could just also be a decent human being and just talk to people normally and not have that those preconceived notions about you, but it's, it is nurturing that if you are never exposed or if you never talk to somebody who's like, hey, let's, let's take a pause on that. Let's, let's examine the idea. Let's, why do you think that? And I definitely had to, um, how do I put this nicely? Stop people in their tracks when I hear them go in the wrong direction. And even if we're having a fun, joyful conversation in a group, I'm like, oh, hold up. Why, what, say that again? Why, what does it, what does it mean? And I'll just press them and I'll keep pressing them and I'll keep pressing them. And let's say, oh, well, my dad told me that once. Oh, well, oh. And, you know, people don't usually invite me to parties because of that. But I, <laughs> I'd rather put good into this world than sit there and continue to be a bystander. I, I think 
I think that's the way that you can break the nurture versus nature cycle. Gabriel, I think Angela has joined us. Angela, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little about yourself and then we'll go ahead and start talking about gender again. My name is Angela. I'm a junior now at the University of Redlands and I form a part of the Johnson community. My emphasis is in international aid and liberal studies. Well, Angela, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, we were talking about gender and in particular, we just finished addressing the debate of nature versus nurture. Uh, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit and ask you to share your thoughts on what is gender to you? Um, I think gender to me represents an outward expression of myself. Um, and I define it in terms of, I think energy, like you're more feminine or more masculine in that sense. And I think that's very interesting about the nature versus nurture. Um, I think that I was first introduced to gender when I was in preschool. I think um, I was just playing around with my friends and I needed to go use the restroom. And, you know, it was being used and I was like, no, I, I really need to go. Like my mom said, like, when I need to, I have to tell someone. And the girls' bathroom was being used. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't use the other bathroom and my teacher explained um, that we have different bodily autonomy, anatomy. <laughs> and she was like, no, I'm sorry, like you can't go in there, like you're just gonna have to wait. And so I think that was the first time I was introduced that there's, we have different anatomy in that sense. And that was kind of like the defining moment of what gender means to me. You are referencing something that we were talking about also before you uh, logged on and joined our conversation here. This issue of returning or tying gender as a social expression of patterns of things we do to an assumption of biology. And I'd like to really emphasize that distinction because uh, where I stand, I try my best to really sever that so that um, I feel that your expression resonates with many people. The fact that we learn gender in the separation of spaces that are told we can't go into because our bodies, like go check your, your pants and that will tell you why you can't go into this room. And it kind of makes sense. And I wanna use the word kind of with a lot of care when, I'm, when I wanna use the restroom, kind of. Because a toilet's a toilet, it doesn't really care whether you have a penis or a vagina. But I kind of get it if we live in a society that somehow we can't share those spaces. And surprisingly, as we get older, we can. Uh, for example, those of us that grew up in households that were very big learned that sometimes the toilet has to be used while you're taking a shower by someone who has different anatomy than you. So we know that it's possible, but somehow we learned the rules of school and other locations. But I want to return to this emphasis of questioning biology because a lot of times it makes sense. We were talking about, for example, uh, cooking spaces and how a lot of us learned that that was not a place for quote unquote men or boys. I was one of those that did enter the cooking spaces. Um, in fact, in my household, I have two sisters. I am older, so maybe that's a reason why, but I entered it more than they did. I was right there next to my mom. I learned, I learned as much, if not more, than my sisters did. Um, but I did hear like, why is he there? Maybe he shouldn't be there. Um, 
not from my mom, by the way, and not from my dad. And I want to think about this thing that we were talking earlier about, like our family circles as the place that we learn kind of the gender expectations. And, and if we're lucky, we have very supportive people that say, I know you're getting this statement and it's hurting you, but not here. I'm going to protect you. But sometimes it's our very family member that says, you know, boys don't cry. Or girls don't play with bats and, and, a, and a softball. And that hurts us. And it's from the person that we love the most, you know, that tells you this. But I want to return that, like, even when I hear it, like me, cooking has nothing to do with my genitals. Like, that's not how it works. Me playing uh, softball has nothing to do with my genitals. Like, but that's how we define it. I, I just want to support you, Angela, and your assessment that, like, when, when people explain gender, they support it with biology. But if we look closely, it has nothing to do with biology. Today, there's this group of excavation um, construction workers outside a house. And we assume that's men's work. However, they're all using equipment that requires just you pushing levers. Like you just need two hands and feet. So they're not using their genitals to do that. However, I grew up in a time that said, that makes sense, that construction workers are men. It doesn't make sense, by the way. To me, it just does not make any sense. So how do we rectify that incessant return to biology to justify gender when gender, as you mentioned, is an outward expression. I think that's a really good point about the spaces as well, because I know in my household, we were also not confined to certain spaces, played a lot of sports growing up. And I know um, my family, you know, like I have cousins and stuff, they'd be like, why are you playing soccer? You know, you're not. And I also want to mention like hair. When I was about eight, I just had a bad experience with like a hairstylist. So I got my hair while I was like eight years old and I, they cut it really short. And my mom would try to put bows in my hair because she was like, no, I want them to know that you're a girl. And I was like, I'm fine. When you play soccer, you can't wear like hair ties or you can't wear necklaces or you know, rings, you can't really wear anything. And I remember I was playing a soccer game and I had just scored two goals. And then on the third goal, you know, I was like running and I was like feeling myself because I had just scored three goals like back to back. And on my way back to like my side of the field, uh, this, little, this girl started crying on the other team and she was like, well, I don't understand why a boy's playing on the girl's team. And I turned around and I was like, I'm a girl, like, you know, I'm playing on the girls team. And that was a striking moment for me because it talked about these spaces and my outward expression, even though I was, I considered myself female, my hair, which was something that I didn't actually think was tied to gender in that way. You know, she had such a outburst that I had short hair and that I was on the girls team. I thought that was a really striking moment to me about being in these spaces as well. Tying right into that, tying into hair, um, working and teaching in like that preschool, early development age space, um, you sometimes you run to kids and they're, and you, they're your first day of your camp or the first day of class and you're like, 
your hair, your facial expressions, everything about you. I don't know what gender you are, so I'm just going to address you directly. I'm not even going to use pronouns. I'm not going to try it because even vocal tones at that point is like, I, there's no inclination either way. And it's like, why do we immediately say, oh, are you a boy or are you a girl? Like, there's no, there's no inherent need for it unless you're like talking to other teachers like oh yeah he's gonna need this or they're allergic to that or she's gonna need that but there is no inherent need to gender children to gender anybody really unless you're trying to describe them we, we use gender more i feel like as a descriptor than as any means to actually understand who they are as a person i think angela and, and danny you both can express like though though we don't need to fit into these necessary binaries and yet everybody else around us like oh but you should oh but you should like Today, uh, in my little Zoom little box right here, see, I, I put in my pronouns, he, him, his. It's like, I do it so that those who want or and or need to use my pronouns can feel comfortable addressing me as such. But I don't do it for much, so much for me as I do it for people around me, for everybody else. It's, it's, it's not like it makes my life easier or harder. It's, it's, it's for somebody else. It's for somebody else's use, for their purpose. Like, and just, I'm, I'm thinking about your soccer game right now. And I'm like, yeah, that's the ad yeah when i played t-ball i had girls on my team and boys on my team it was like why does it really matter why why who who at the end of the day who if i'm a six-year-old what does it matter if i'm a six-year-old boy or a six-year-old girl are we are our are, are legs really that different is our technique for scoring a goal oh do we do it with the outside of our foot versus like i don't i don't see a purpose to it other than for other people to say oh that's different oh that's weird oh that's outside of our norm and now we're going to use it to call you different and ostracize you from your community. I think that's a good direction to take this conversation, this question of like, why do we need it? How does it operate? Because we started this talk about gender by really just simply offering our direction on like, what is gender to us? And uh, I've stated that like, the way that I see it is a, is a category of definition, but it's not in me, it's outside, it's in my society. But it's also um, in my home. So that I know that I learned about gender in the most loving of ways, like through my parents, through my grandparents, through my siblings. And I'd like to really see if there's a space that we can talk about this conversation in, in this way. One, why, like what function, but also there's a difference between understanding that you've come to terms with the dissatisfaction of the binary of the stereotypes of the confines. So that um, Gabriel and I, before you joined us, Angela was talking about, uh, we were talking about just how uncomfortable it's been to be so confined, whether we work, wear a color, you know, Gabriel has a color, it's like a light purple. Uh, I have one that's kind of, pink. Uh, when I was a little kid, when I was five, I couldn't wear this shirt without being made fun of. When I was a little kid, I don't think I even wanted to wear it. But what I want to say is that I do remember having friends that did and feeling upset that they couldn't. So there's a divide between some of us that see this binary and say, I don't like it. And others go, what's the big deal? In fact, that's where we are in a lot of conversation about gender. I get, I get this a lot. Why do you talk about it so much? Why are you trying to dismantle it? Because I'm happy. I'm happy living in this binary. I love this lipstick. I love this hairdo. So there's a, there's a distinction between some of us that are really comfortable with gender. We, we are living 
in a space of division and saying, it's okay, I'm, I'm gonna choose pink, I'm gonna have a baby. And if she's uh, coded as a girl, I'm gonna put pink and bows on her. And if she's coded as a boy, I'm gonna put blue and not put bows on him. I know I've, I've expressed two different spaces of conversation direction, but I'm thinking about this question that ultimately goes deeper, I guess, is the why. <laughs> like, why do we have gender? What does it do for us? I think it allows us, I've also noticed um, it ties in with our behavior in a sense, like how we're supposed to project and have this outward expression. I know um, my mom would not necessarily push certain behaviors towards me as I identified as, you know, coded as girl or female. Um, like just as an example, like cooking, I didn't really enjoy it as much. I would kind of, you know, argue with her all the time if she was like, oh, can you just help me, you know, slice these onions? And I would just be like, does that have to be me? But my little brother enjoys cooking so much. He watches like cooking videos and he's always in the kitchen. He's coming up with new recipes. And I know that some of my family finds that weird because I'm not behaving how they expect me to. And I, I got this question the other day and they were like, well, you're going back to campus. Like, are you worried or anything because you don't know how to cook? I was like, no, you know, there's a dining hall. I'm not necessarily worried about that. But they were like, they wanted to make it seem as if it was really bad that as a female, I didn't know how to cook or didn't know how to be in the space or didn't know how I would eventually behave towards, you know, like my partner in the future that I wasn't necessarily being what they wanted me to be, like what society, I guess, wants me to be. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I think that's a really interesting point, Angela. Um, I guess there's two places I can take this. One is, I think, not, not last summer, the summer before last, I was teaching a cooking camp for eight to 12 year olds. And we, we taught foods from all around the world, from Morocco to Greece, to Italy, to Spain, to South America. Like we explored some of the language, we explored some of why is this food important? What are the dietary and nutritional values? What does this food mean to the culture? And it was a mixture of boys and girls. It was never too much of one or too much of the other. And I think that's kind of interesting, at least looking back at it, and that it was just cooking to enjoy culture, cooking to enjoy food, and yet, We've placed this binary on top. We've placed the he, she, him, her on top of it. So as to say, oh, he should know how to do this or she should know how to do that. And I think at least I, we have two little young ones in my family. Uh, uh, five-year-old, my, I have a five-year-old little sister and then uh, three and a half-year-old little nephew. And both of them I talk to and I teach them like they were adults. I'm like, oh, you can use this when you cook. When you go out, you can do this. You can do this. You can do that. You can do the other. And I, and, I, and I see these patterns like in the way that we engage with them and that my family will treat uh, my nephew different than they will my little sister. And sure, you can say it's on age in some parts, but I've, you have to kind of act consciously. And even I, who's been kind of having these conversations with myself for the past five, 10 years, I have to sometimes be conscious about, wait, why am I telling her this? Why am I telling him this? And it's almost flipped. And in some ways, I speak to him more directly in the sense of like, I'll sit him down. It's like, hey, you can do this, you can do that, and you can do that. It's not okay. I, I appreciate that you're expressing yourself with your crying, but what are some other ways that we can use our voice to talk about how we're feeling? 
and he'll listen to that and he'll interpret it and he'll kind of kind of fix and learn on that and then my little sister will maybe it's because she's my little sister she will do none of it and she's like no i'm gonna do my own thing and that's totally okay i mean it's it's what i'd find typically of like okay in my head that's stereotypical of a boy's behavior to somebody trying to discipline them or teach them or or trying to transform them in some way and and angela you made an earlier uh, earlier point um about tying it in with our behavior like why why does our behavior have to dictate who can cook why you, um, you said your uh, your family when you were going up to school, how they said, oh, how are you going to feed your future partner? How are you going to self-sustain? How are you going to do all that? And I think in some part, younger generations kind of have this disconnect with food. Like current 20-year-old, 30-year-old, just DoorDash this, Uber Eats that, Postmates that. Like, I don't I don't need a cook. I don't want to cook at home. Let me just order from people who do. And I'm definitely on the side of, almost like your younger brother, Angela, I grew up watching Rachel Ray, uh, the Food Network channel, learning how to cook. I went to cooking camp for like three, four years. When I was young, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a master chef. I'm going to be like a, prof a professional. I'll go to people's homes, cook for all these like sports players. That'll be my life. And I still love cooking. Uh, part, one of my current jobs, because as a 20-something-year-old college student, I have like four jobs this summer. Um, part of it is I'm selling knives. And as depressing as it sounds a little bit, I enjoy it. And you have these conversations with people like, oh, and what's their relationship with food? And some of them is like, I hate it. I don't want to cook. I cook because I literally have to. And sometimes, no, I love cooking. I love it in the kitchen. I love being on the barbecue. And I think that's a, a really interesting dichotomy there. It's like, if you think of the barbecue, if you think of the carbon, like propane or charcoal, it's like, oh, a guy is supposed to know how to grill. He's supposed to know how to clean the grill. He's supposed to know what meats to put on. He's supposed to know the heat levels. Like if it's outside, oh, that's the man's job. He can grill outside. If it's indoors, oh no, that's the woman's job. She should know how to make the enchiladas, how to do the pollo con mole. She should know all the, like, it's cooking. It's cooking food. And why is there this, this okay in one scenario, but not okay in the other? And I think, if anything, that just adds more confusion to your original question, Danny, of like, why is that even there? And I, I really don't know other than to just put us in a box. The question of why is, is a hard question. But it's also a question that has been addressed a lot by academics. So gender theory has been addressed um, in many fields. My background is in anthropology. And there's a lot of perspectives trying to figure out like what is the function of gender? What does it do in society to separate people by this expectation that one, we know is actually not biological even if they say it's biological. So they'll say something like this. Well, women are supposed to be in the kitchen because that's closer to babies and men are supposed to be out because that's closer to hunting. And we know that the human body, maybe men are stronger and women are nurturers. Now, I'm just saying uh, stereotypes. So, so I wanna be careful that I don't get misquoted but the reason why we start saying these things is simply to divide labor. So gender theory says, oh, if we separate expectations, we can control resources. If it is, uh, I mentioned this idea of like the construction workers outside my home today, does that pay better than the home work, the work inside a home? So that if cooking and cleaning pays $7 an hour, does construction pay more than $7 an hour? And it turns out it does. And then the question is, well, 
how is this tied to the original question of why? Well, if we use gender to control resources, we, we must teach it early on. We must teach different tracks of existence. That's why the question that Gabriel, you put forward that like, why would you do that to little children when they're five, gender them so early? Because it has to be taught through a long process. Turns out if you wait till they're 18 to teach gender, we reject it. We do not accept it on face value. But if you teach it when they're five, not even five, the moment they're born, like there's a reason why we have this ridiculous thing. Oh, that's offensive. I shouldn't, I should respect it. But the gender reveal parties, I only say ridiculous because I have angst around it. Like they're so little, like let them be. <laughs> but, but we do it because on that moment, we all agree. Everyone in your party will take an oath. We're going to gender them. If it's pink, you know what to do. If it's blue, you know what to do as well. And it is, a, it is not the same as I'm describing it, but that's how I see it. It's this weird agreement that everyone in the party, we're all gonna do this thing and we're gonna gender them. And it doesn't really satisfy the original question of why do you do it? Because most of us will say it's because it's nature, Danny. Nature genders them. We're just giving it words like, no, pink is just a color. In another society, they use another color. So the color is arbitrary. And in the future, it might be a different color. But there is something important to emphasize, like the why. What does it do? And I think gender does produce different expectations of how we will operate in society that are not based on equality. So that gender that says men should not be in the kitchen doesn't really benefit women and doesn't really benefit men, but it does create an unequal expectation that like if you're a young woman and you're told, oh, you can't cook, there's something wrong with you. But if you're a young man that just assumes you can't cook, oh, that seems you, you get a little bit of uh, room to be a young man because you don't get as much pressure and you seem to be getting a lot more pressure if your young woman doesn't know how to cook. Even, with, even though, as Angela mentioned, like both of you should figure it out. Because eating doesn't care. <laughs> like, like your stomach's hungry. It doesn't care what gender it is. So I think the, the, to me, the, the question of why helps me come up with an answer by saying it seems to be managing resources. But it doesn't satisfy it because we live in a, in a place, in a time that we expect equal resources. So that I want the same for anyone who's gendered as woman by choice or non-choice as those that are gendered masculine like I don't I don't want to live in a society that says well if you're a man you should get paid more and that's okay like I don't feel comfortable saying that so then I then I have to reject the assumption that gender satisfies unequal resources because if that's why we do it and yet I don't feel comfortable reproducing it I end up empty I want to chime in on that point Danny real quick uh just uh so I've always had a fascination with being a stay-at-home dad. I'm like, ah, if my if my wife, if my partner makes more money than me, if they can afford it, if I can afford to stay home, raise the kids, I'm like, ah, heaven, I'll cook, I'll clean, put them to bed. Like, I love children. I've always had that fascination. Like, ah, I can be a stay-at-home dad. Perfect. I, I, I would, and I know a lot of my peers are like, not a lot. I'm not going to say a lot. I've heard from peers that like, no, I wouldn't feel like that'd be weird if my, if my wife makes more than me, my girl makes more than me. Like, no, like that's, that's, uh-uh. It's like with the height, oh, if my girl's taller than me, like, what the f no, let them be who they are. I'm, 
maybe that's just my personality. Maybe that's just how I interact with people around me. But I don't know. I'd love to. I'd love to get Angela your thoughts or Danny your thoughts. Like, how do you do with like being that stay at home dad or with having your partner make more money than you? That's actually really interesting because um, I've been getting this question a lot of like, what am I studying? And a lot of my family is asking like, well, what are you going to do if you make more money than your partner? And I kind of responded like, like, that's fine with me. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily base how much I make in our relationship like that, like that's a bad thing. But they ask like, what, like, what if you're the provider and they're just staying home? Like, that's not their job. Like, what if they're just being lazy at home? And I thought it was interesting how it flipped because, you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom as well. And a lot of people would say, oh, so she just stays home. Like, she doesn't work. And she had four kids, and that's a lot of work because we would all play sports. We would go to school. We would take swimming lessons, and she would just drive us around and take care of us and that was unpaid work that she was doing and it still takes a lot of courage to do that you know we were all I remember we would always be fighting in the car and she would get stressed because you know she was driving and she was trying to yell at us like oh stop talking (laughs) Um, but I think it's okay like if one is making more money or just you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer it because I think it's a really interesting question how it's kind of flipped also that now one or like the other gender can now make more money and the other one stays home. The question of gender as a divider of spaces, a divider of resources is, is situated with one about relationships in a binary of separation, like a heterosexual relationship, for example. What happens if the man stays home and the woman works? What happens if you're in a relationship where there's two men? Because when I was younger, that was always my go-to question. Because when I was growing up, everything was explained as gender. So that if I was having uh, a problem in a relationship, it's like, well, that's how women are, or that's how men are. And I was like, well, if I was in a relationship with with another man, then they wouldn't say that. So that means like, how does that work? You know, or if it's two women, can they both, do they do they immediately let go and breathe now? Because like, it doesn't matter who works. They're both women. So they don't have to go and justify, well, who's who stays home? Even though I, I was remembering a conversation when someone said, no, because they'll, like, they'll get asked like, who's the man in the relationship? Or who's the woman in the relationship? I'm like, yeah, but that's still cheating because that's going back to force the, heterosexual binary onto a couple that is not there. They chose or choice or not choice, but they're living a reality that is not heterosexual by, by arrangement. So then when people put it on them, it's, I feel it's cheating because they're imposing the same binary that we're struggling with on them. But the, 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 the thing that I'm wrestling with is that we feel this question as awkward and maybe some of us say, well, that's just a new thought because previous generation were comfortable. But I was telling Gabriel earlier, and I wasn't sure if you were here yet, Angela, that I grew up with like my mom telling me how she didn't fit gender expectations. You know, and to me, that was, oh, that was the most relieving thing. I remember I was in your high when she, when she shared that story and that she was called a tomboy. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm not the only one. 
and I know that like now the young girls that are being raised in the 2020s are still having these issues and the young boys that are raised in the 2020s are still having these issues and I find that trippy because I'm like well what we didn't do much or we didn't do enough because I thought we would be done with this debate of like girls are supposed to act this way boys are supposed to act this way and as I'm hearing both of you I think we're still pressured by gender I thought it was interesting that there's this point made by Gabrielle where he mentioned there's this rejection now about cooking and there's also this rejection like I had mentioned about the you know the spaces that you can be in about you know money like how does that flip and how does that look like in a heterosexual relationship but also cooking between you know just your family because I think I rejected cooking a lot and I just didn't want to learn because it was so pushed on me. You know, when I would go visit my other family, they would, you know, pressure, you know, constantly ask me like, oh, what new recipes are you learning? Or what are you doing to learn to be a woman? And I hated that. I hated that I had to learn how to cook to be defined as a woman by their standards or that I had to stay home to, you know, be defined as a woman because I didn't think that those were extensions of gender in the sense that they were talking about it. So I think I'm interested to see where this rejection is going between in, you know, children that are being raised in the 20s, you know, 2020s, and to see where that will go and where, yeah, I'm interested to see that. I think similarly, the, the the rejection of gender as a binary and more like, oh, those are just words you can use to describe certain actions or certain traits, but not necessarily requiring young people to be in it. Um, I, I, I think of the, the discussion of like, oh, well, what makes a woman a woman? Oh, if she can have kids, she can have, well, what, have, what about all the women who can't have children, who are tried, whose bodies just fail them in that regard? if they have a surrogate, if they do in vitro fertilization, if they have a test tube baby, like wh where where do we draw the line of, oh, they're not, they're, they weren't the original mothers, so not, not really mothers, so that, that takes away their womanhood. Like I, 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 I go back to my thoughts between like myself and my partner, she's, a lot, she's more masculine than I guess the norm of femininity and I'm more feminine than the norm of masculinity. And I looking into the future, like, all right, if we have kids, how do we raise them? Do we say like, I, the way I kind of raise my little sister, not really raise her, but the way I treat and interact with my little sister, I think if she wants to play with dolls, okay, let her play with dolls. If she wants to play with dinosaurs, let her play with dinosaurs. Whatever she's interested in or whatever he's interested in or they're interested in, let them express themselves however they want. And I know that, that's, that's, that's the mentality for me and, and quite a few of my friends. And like, I'm interested to see the, the interactions and I'll say it, conflicts in the different nurturing styles because there will still be parents who are like no you're either a boy or you're a girl and you're going to play with trucks or you're going to play with dolls and you're not going to get anything else and then you'll have my kid who's like i'm gonna play with both of them and i'm gonna wear pink shorts and a blue top so what do you care like i i'm excited and a little hesitant to see those interactions but just seeing how how more youthful newer generations are and engaging in these conversations we're having it over this podcast and we're all a little bit older than freshmen in high school and yet 
that's that's where I was still starting to have these conversations with my peers and and earlier and earlier and younger and younger and eighth graders and middle schoolers today are having conversations of how do we break down this binary? How do we how do we be our most authentic selves? Because I think that's that's an amazing thing with social media, blessing and a curse. You are, you are bombarded with consistent content about different people's authenticity. Now, whether that authenticity is fake or real, it doesn't really matter because that's their authentic selves online. And I think as we continue to have these discussions, you have these different camps of like, oh, uh, that person in that group, that's really cool. I'm going to fit in with them. I can join their space online. I can be interconnected with them in this virtual world. Even if I don't see them in my day to day, I know I'll go home and I'll type a message to the group chat and I'll feel backed. I'll feel represented. I'll feel this group, this camp. And I think kind of circling back to one of the earlier points we made, um, it's like we, we used gender to allocate resources or allocate time or allocate uh, worth. I think we use gender to group people. And I think in a, in a more positive sense, how we present ourselves, Angela, going back to how you, you introduced the idea of gender, how we present ourselves and how we interact with the world and authentically doing that online is gonna get us into smaller communities where we're like, okay, these are my people. These are people who feel like me, who feel similar to me, who, if, if uh, cause there's, there's mommy groups and there's daddy groups and like, they, these are all, this is, this is a parent group who, all I believe that, yeah, if we have, if we have, if one of our cousins got dolls for our daughter, but our daughter really likes trucks, I'm gonna go trade them with uh, another person's son who really likes dolls. And we're just, boom, save money, share time, share resources. Like, I'm excited to see the growing interconnectedness and blending of what we see as traditional norms. Well, Angela and Gabriel, I wanna thank you for sharing this conversation. Of course, anytime. Thank you. You have just finished hearing a conversation with Gabriel Rodriguez and Angela Montano, who shared their thoughts toward gender expectations, the politics of living with gender stereotypes. More directly, we're able to share how we as individuals navigate this thing that we call gender in a way that allows us to be safe, healthy, and strong. I hope you found this conversation interesting and relevant and take it to your respective circles to continue. Thank you for joining us. Feel free to check out our webpage to review archives of past segments at dreport.org. Again, thank you. Stay safe, stay strong. Join us again next week.